The views expressed on the patient's perspective come directly from patients, so they are not intended to diagnose, treat, or replace professional medical advice. Information coming from the patient's perspective is for entertainment and educational purposes only. So if you have any health concerns regarding yourself or anyone else, please see a physician. The Patient's Perspective is a podcast created by patients for patients and does not focus on any specific disease or condition. Content may make you laugh, cry, and question your moral beliefs surrounding healthcare and the many issues patients run into while in the system. Finally, the most important point of view is cast into the light. The Patient's Perspective. On this episode of The Patient's Perspective, Mangled Mondays, Candace and Kyla discuss compassionate caregivers. Hi, everyone. I'm sitting here along with the other host, uh, Candace, and we've been discussing over the last few days how we wanted to do a podcast um, to kind of sing praises to uh, caregivers either in our lives or in the healthcare industry. I, I feel like we, th- there's so much negativity surrounding patient care. I mean, that's obviously what kind of started the patient's perspective from being created. Um, so, but we, we do want to recognize that there are positive character or caregivers out there, compassionate caregivers. So we thought that that's how we would, um, like, well, yeah, we just, we just decided to do this podcast today. <laughs> so mm-hmm. welcome, Candace. Say hi. Yeah, hi. I'm so happy to be here, as always, because Kyla is a joy to talk to. And we're going to dig into a fun topic today. So, yay. <laughs> or a more positive topic, I guess you can say. We we try to balance them uh, when we're coming up with topics, but the endless amount of topics. So... You know, I, I started talking to Candace about the fact that in my own personal story, and this isn't going to be the same in everyone's story, I there's hardly ever a time where I personally ran into very negative uh, nurses. And I noticed when I always was being hospitalized that it was, you know, the nurses that were running around and they're the ones that get you the warm blankets. If you're going, if you're, you know, going into shock or need a warm, warm blanket, uh, they were the ones getting me snacks and water and, and um, sometimes even, even sometimes emotional um, conversation. Right. So I guess that's kind of what kind of started this topic is the fact that I really have not run into too many um, negative experiences with nurses per se. And then also I've had very positive experiences with some doctors. So that's, I guess, why we chose to do this one. <laughs> so what, how do we want to start this, Candice? Do we want to talk about like specific times that 
we had um, noticed compassionate care because it must be very difficult for whether it's at, they're at home or whether it's in healthcare in the healthcare system because it almost becomes mundane. And I know that from working in the social work industry that you develop a little bit of what looks like and appears like insensitivity, but it's just because you deal with it every day. So it just becomes part of your regular job, right? It just, it becomes mundane. So it's really nice when you run into uh, physicians or other care providers that seem really compassionate. So yeah. Yeah. I have a few stories. Terry, you go and all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I think just sharing a couple stories would be a good jumping off point for this mangled Monday discussion, because as we know, listeners out there, this is a mangled Mondays. So sometimes we kind of go in different directions because we pick topics that can be open and, and we'd love additions to. I have Kyla mentions how it's a joy kind of to to run into somebody who extends you an extraordinary amount of compassion when you're in the the situation as a chronic illness patient showing up to multiple appointments in a month in different areas of specialty and whether you're showing up in the emergency room or you know or any with some of the systems being strained in um, any country in this world, uh, anybody that's overworked and things like that, you run into a lot of, like Kyla said, people who are stressed and taxed and there's mundane. And, and so sometimes care providers forget the compassionate end of things. So when you get a good one, it's like, it's, it's a story that you will remember. So I have a few and I'll jump off with, with one in particular. It, the most recent was when I showed up by ambulance, it would have been April to the hospital um, with some pretty life-threatening stuff with my illness, which affects my brain. And this, emergency room doctor that I saw, it was simple. He just extended the validation. You're slipping through the cracks. And sometimes there's not even time to stop and say that in an emergency room situation. So that was my, my most recent, but I have a few care providers that maybe are unconventional who are my favorite and most important providers as a patient that kind of has to keep going back to the primary care provider and asking for referrals and waiting a lot of times to see a new specialist the in-between people that i have access to like my physiotherapy team um social work who else? There's, I have a systems navigator, which that I'm blessed with being able to access because I'm in an outreach clinic, a community outreach health clinic, which is, we don't have everywhere. But when you, 
the, the compassionate people are everyday people who just stop and listen, hear you, see you as a human being, and make that human connection even for a brief moment. Moment. Yeah. And, and you remember it, right? Like it is forever. Yeah. You know, um, you know, for, for myself, I, I mean, I, I don't even think I've even mentioned this on the podcast yet, but there was one point in time just a few years ago where they thought I had something called ankylosing spondylitis, which is where your spine fuses. We, I've been complaining about my hips and my, um, and my back for years. And then I went for a CT scan and it showed inflammation. So, I obviously got sent to a rheumatologist. I was having problems walking properly. This is after the birth of my last son and um, just slightly before I had my ovaries removed. And the rheumatologist that I met, she was absolutely a joy. Now, she was one of these rheumatologists that, again, was um, she was chosen or at least told to me by the immunodermatologist, who at that point in time was only trying to send me to the best of the best. And she definitely was. She was absolutely fantastic. Um, she was one of those doctors where when you go to her appointment, if she is late, you are, you, you better sit there because if you don't, it could be months before you could get in to see her again because she was just that fantastic, right? And she never seemed to be stressed out. She never seemed to be in a bad mood when she came in through the door. Um, she would apologize if she was late. Well, one time I was sitting there and we are talking, it's getting to about three hours behind. And I'm okay to sit like this because the first time she saw me, I was the person <laughs> who was delaying everybody else. Like I remember the nurse bringing me into the room and then like, she was so enthralled with my situation because she knew the immunodermatologist and, and she stated that, you know, I was an interesting case. And because she had heard that I was coming, they had obviously had spoken about it beforehand. And so it was me. And, and the nurse kept coming in and like, what is taking so long? Like my first appointment. So I knew it was me that was putting everyone behind, but it was so important for her to see me. So I'm okay to sit there. So I'm sitting there. This is now like six months after I've known her. It's about my third appointment. And I'm sitting there and they're about three hours behind to the point that it's now lunchtime and all these patients are just sitting there. They were so great. The, the nursing staff, and this is no lie, I've never seen this in another office before in my entire life, came out with a serving tray. <laughs> And they had cheese, they had crackers, they had juice, and they were literally walking around explaining, sorry if you can't wait any longer, we're, we apologize. And I was just like, what is this? this is like, like, And so everyone was joking in the waiting room. You become friends with people if you've ever been in a waiting room long enough. <laughs> And we're all joking about what service, you know, if you want service, good service, you go to the rheumatologist appointment, you know, at um, at the old children's hospital in Calgary, right? <laughs> it's Richmond Diagnostic Center is what it's called. So, and I really appreciated that. And, and what that showed me right away, and that was really, um, it, it didn't surprise me that it came from this rheumatologist's office. 
at all. Because when you met her, you would realize that she would be the type of person that would figure out, hey, it's now three hours later. Patients need to eat. It's now 12 o'clock. So can you go around with juice and snacks for them and cookies? Because it's cookies and all that stuff, little packaged cookies, and just hand them out. You know, and and that held, told me everything right there about what type of office that is. You know, the staff are happy. The doctor is happy. Everyone's, you know, some people I'm sure were, were you know, I just know that if I'm going to a specialist that is that well um, known and respected, you know, you better book the rest of the day off because it could be a long time. Right. Right. Um, I, I mean, obviously, I mean, that comes along with privilege and we haven't gotten into that yet. But I was in a privileged position where I had my children were cared for by my parents and I didn't have to worry about it, right? It'd be different if you had kids in like childcare. But it's that little thing of being served food, restaurant style, in a waiting room <laughs> was awesome. Yeah. And it showed me the discussions that that physician must have had with her staff. It's the culture. That's right. That you could tell the culture of that, an environment of that rheumatology um, clinic right off the hop, right? Whether it's the doctor, I don't know who decided that. To, sorry to interrupt you there, Kyla, but I, you're reminding me of another recent interaction, you know, and to talk about culture, even within a city, I'm in a bigger city, London, Ontario. So we have more than one emergency room. There's more than one hospital. And the culture can be different from one location to the next. And if you're a patient that, I, I joke, I am a frequent flyer. And so you learn to go to the places that have the culture of compassion. And you can tell, like you say, when the staff is happy, regardless of any of the things that are going on around them, if the staff is happy, you know the culture is good. And yeah, so I'll, I'll tell another story and then I'll throw it back to Kyla. I, I have an ear, nose, and throat specialist. I have since I was a kid. I've had like 12 surgeries or more. I can't, I don't count anymore. And I go into their office and I start, the first question is, how are you? And how's, how's the stuff with all your other things that you've got going on in your health? And like that kind of blows me away sometimes because often doctors don't have time to connect dots or to pay attention to the rest of your goings on if you're somebody who has a lot of goings on in the healthcare systems. And so the fact that his first question is like, how's all the other stuff? And then he'll, when you give him an answer, he will go into more depth and talk about all the mechanics of what you're going through as if he understands 
and he has said like uh in a in an appointment one time looking at some inflammation in my ears as a result of some other things that were going on i had explained to him a little bit of struggle that i was having with trying to navigate finding the right specialists and feeling like i was being seen as quote unquote crazy and you know it was an emotional day for me because i had just previously been discharged uh, by a specialist that i needed and the response was our tests show nothing and there's nothing wrong with you and he was looking in my head <laughs> at something wrong and he said this is immuno immunological you're not crazy you just need another doctor and again, it's that simple validation that your, your opinions about your own health and your knowledge of your own body is a thing and you're, it's your health and you're allowed to do that. And a doctor that will explain things in medical terms and as if you might actually understand the mechanics of your own workings is like a breath of fresh air right and so like i have another one on that breath of fresh air note because i called this person a breath of fresh air but i'm gonna let kyla because she's smiling so i'm gonna let her jump in now uh, well, last, um, not this summer, obviously, because it's not over yet, but last summer, I stepped either on a wasp or a bee and had, I had been dreading doing that for years because I got stung as a child and never been stung again. And ever since all my allergic reactions, I've been nervous about, you know, getting a bee sting or a wasp sting. So I don't quite know what it was because I smushed it, <laughs> found it on my stairs. Um, but um Obviously, it was not happy with me, and I got stung, and my foot swelled, and sure enough, we found out within about 48 hours, uh, I had a reaction, whether that was due to the stinger being in so long, I guess that can cause a reaction, or I'm actually allergic, we don't know, but my foot swelled, it felt really heavy, and then I, I did end up uh, throwing up um, uh, within about 48 hours. I felt really sick for about two days. But I had gone to an urgent care center in Calgary. And I get this young, fresh um, doctor, right? And he comes in and he's talking to me and I'm explaining my medical history. And we always yeah, think my, you know, I've had my ovaries removed and, you know, I have allergic reactions a lot to, to stuff, like random things a lot of the time. So this isn't surprising. Um, <clears throat> we think I have mast cell activation. And he said, I'm actually hearing a lot about that lately. <laughs> like oh that's good because it's kind you know so he had heard about mass cell activation we had a conversation about my history such as having anaphylactic uh, purpura before um several times actually as a child and as an adult and he finally looked at me and he says you know he's like you understood everything that i just said he's like are you in the medical field i said no i said but i've you know and then that's when i joke i'm like you know i might, might as well then you know like with all the stuff that's happened to me my entire life. He's like, you're not a nurse or anything? I said, no. He's like, huh. And that was it. He was very chipper and he just accepted it. He wasn't grumpy about it. He wasn't accusing me of, 
um, you know, researching too much, my foot swell. What is he going to say? You know, like it's, it's obviously I'm having some type of reaction. Uh, and then he said, well, do you want to, do you want EpiPen? And I said, yes, please. So I, I finally now have an EpiPen. Uh, I have two, one in my home and um, one in my car, which should be my purse now, but that's, I have to get better at that. Um, but it was, again, it was a, that was a more positive reaction. And I, again, I don't know if it's due to age, just maybe there's more training towards the fact that due to the internet, patients might have more um, medical lingo, but there was no, I didn't feel any kind of um, judgment from him. But again, I don't know if that's just due to the fact that the foot was clearly swelling. Uh, so, you know, that there's nothing really to argue in terms of the fact that if I'm having a reaction, like visible symptoms versus um, ones that you normally couldn't see. Right. But that, that was a positive. So I'm, I'm hoping that the culture and that I'm hoping hoping colleges that they are are training doctors the newest generations to be a little bit more compassionate in terms of the you know patients have interactions or not interactions have the ability to research things and they're not all um hypochondriacs and they're not all um going down rabbit holes you know or overly so, yeah. anxious or overly anxious or whatnot. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the, the physicians, even if they're not, it's not their specialty and woe is me. Often that is the case. Um, the, the carers that hear me are not the right ones to make the call or send the referral, et cetera, et cetera. But I had an endocrinologist, um, just here's that validation piece again, right? Um, he asked me about my diet. And I, so I said, well, I mean, I do the best I can. I, I eat you know, organ meats in the form of delicious pâtés, and I do my own fermentation at home and have sauerkraut on hand. And he says, whoa, he says, you really do get this. And he said, you know, I'm going to do what I can to help you as best I can. Now, again, like I haven't seen him again, falling through the cracks or whatever, but like, I hope more physicians and specialists will take on that, as, as you say, culture of just stopping a moment and hearing, especially if a patient is describing maybe decades of research into their own health because of necessity instead of rabbit holing let's call it right so and then <laughs> i you know i might have said something something off color there i have no idea i'm old bear with me <laughs> but <sighs> the just just listen just listen to patients they have a perspective that you might actually be able to take a view from 
that'll help you in your day as well. Yeah, I, I, I've I've always had the feeling that the ones that are quite judgmental, um, it, it's like they're envisioning patients being online. And I'm not saying that not all patients, there are people who do do this. And that's the problem. It's the minority. And it's been pushed on to patients that it's the majority, right? Uh, that's where there's issues. Where we're all up at like one, two, three, four, or five in the morning, not sleeping like this, mm -hmm. <laughs> like just eyeballing, like like what's like what could this be? And 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 then going from one thing and reading one thing and picking that and reading the other. Where what I actually did was um, the only time that happened was when I would be already in the process of throwing up in the middle of the night, and I was just up, right couldn't sleep um you know another wave i knew was coming so i would start researching and then something would maybe pique my interest of something that happened to me in my childhood or down like years before let's say a symptom and then you check on that and you kind of look at it and you're like huh like th like that's that's more and then you kind of put pieces together if that makes sense, but not, not, but not like this, like anxious, like, oh, oh, what's this? And, and looking for endless hours, you know, not eating and not sleeping and not like, it, it's, it's really, um, that, yeah, like that, like that's, that's the perception in my mind of what they, the ones that are judgmental are thinking most patients are doing, but that's a very, very minute amount of people, right? And it's being put on the vast majority. And I, I do believe there was a study years ago, again, don't quote me, we never have notes to the listeners. This is all off the cuff. Every oh, single okay. interview you hear here, right now at least, until we start, knock on wood, start interviewing like other professionals or professionals, right? is off the cuff. So that's why I can't remember exactly where I um, uh, heard the study or, or whatnot, right? So I can't tell you the author. I, I have a fantastic memory for some reason for um, studies. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because I had a mother who was, you know, was a biology teacher. I have no clue. <laughs> so um, that's a bit of a clue. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's a biology teacher, maybe. That, the, the, the immunodermatologist finally had this years later when we were talking. I'm like, yeah, my mom, she's a, you know, she taught biology. And she literally stopped and she looked at me. She goes, your mom was a biology teacher? I was like, yeah. And she like looked at the at the resident. And I could tell they were thinking like, well, that explains it. <laughs> you know, well, like, you know <laughs> I mean, and when a doctor looks at you, they can't see that. All they That's see right. is what's at the top of their notes on your chart. Yeah. And like, I've actually told a doctor before, hey, listen, like, I was an Ontario scholar, and I got a 98 in biology. So I kind of understand. And yep. like, they get, you know, it's the, uh, the it's joke, the joke with my kids when they were little, I'd be like, don't ask grandma a simple question about like the human body or nature or something, because you're going to get a really, really long answer. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't ask. 
Ask so anyways, you shall receive. See, now I've now I've gotten off track and now I can't remember what study I was thinking about, like what triggered that. And I see them in pictures. That's another thing. Like I don't, I don't a lot of the times, I would say I'm a person that probably um my my memory comes mostly in like video. Like like video. And, and so like I I sometimes see the paper in my eyes, like instead of remembering it in my actual memory. So that's why sometimes it just happens as a flash. So anyways, that's something for the listeners to learn about me is I get a lot of flashes while I'm doing interviews. (laughs) And I probably only think like in words, maybe five to 10%, uh, uh, five to 10% of the time. Right. Yeah. And I will jump in and say, and also, I've mentioned this before, and I've, I'm myself am looking into whether or not I might have an ADHD or some kind of neurodivergency that I've been navigating without really knowing I was navigating it. So this really leads into that thing that I promised I would track back to, that breath of fresh air. And it reminded me because Kyla was talking about how she sees things in flashes. And guess what? (laughs) I got a flash in my brain (laughs) of my interaction. So, hold on one sec. Can can you wait one second? Just because now I remembered the study that I was talking about. Um, I I believe they did a study. I remember hearing about it at least somewhere um, or seeing it. Candace just clicked off. Oh, there she is. <laughs> Are you with me, Candace? You froze. Pause. Okay. We're going to have to edit a, a piece out. <laughs> okay. okay. So the study was looking at whether or not people could actually um, diagnose themselves through the internet or get a good a good idea on if they could diagnose themselves. And the researchers, from what I remember were actually shocked because they actually thought that people like couldn't figure out what they had. But then when they actually did the study, they found out that people actually had a pretty good sense um, of what was kind of ridiculous and what not to go for. Like there, there were times when I was doing my research on stuff where I would be like, oh, well, that's not me. And I would just move on to something else. I actually missed progesterone allergy in the beginning because the original um documentation and reports on it there was only like two or three when i first started looking uh only talked about full body hives and i didn't have that i mostly had angioedema and it wasn't until years later that the angioedema got added so um and that's when i looked at it again because i kept i kept kind of going back to it and then one day i was having an attack and i went back and it talked about angioedema and i was like oh shit it's like, oh my god! And that's when I realized in my head, I was all this time I've been having anaphylactic reactions, right? And and it, like the horror of that, you know, realizing that that's actually what I've been battling, right? And that's what led me to go to my GP, and then I ended up going to the immunodermatologist. So, um, and that's the yeah. beautiful, compassionate office that you entered, right? That that's well yeah well yes and then she was compassionate and that's and then it's allowed me to help out other patients you know so it's and then the patient's perspective was born there you go 
<laughs> so it's you yeah and so we're, again we're getting off topic now of the compassionate caregivers we're getting more onto um how patients actually most of them i would say are investigating themselves on the internet uh, but it sure is nice to see that at least some doctors are particularly younger, which would make more sense because when you're older, you're set in your ways, right? Um, a lot of the time, the, the newest generation seems to be a little bit more open, especially because they've grown up with the internet as well now, some of them. I mean, I know there's some now that are younger than me, right? Um, they're starting to understand that part. Yeah, so I think that if I think I have the perfect wrap up story, because I have, it's funny, another recent, very compassionate interaction that I have described a few times as a breath of fresh air. And leading into that, I'm whole thinking I might have some things going on well with um, neurodivergency. I'm seeing now a psychiatrist and this person has met with me three times now and wants another full hour just to get to know me. And, but has said to me, I, okay, I made a joke, right? I'm pretty free with my truths and I just kind of ramble on. I can, I have a hard time filtering anything when I get going and I'm feeling safe. So I was just rambling and I went, well, I'm not a doctor, but because I was, I'm always afraid to say, well, I think this might be going on with me because A, B, or C, even though I know the mechanics of some things. And he stopped me and he says, now, why would you say that? And I said, well, sometimes it's been my experience that, you know, physicians or care providers don't always like you to do your own research into your health. And he says, well, it's your health. And I just said, who are you? Like, you're a breath of fresh air, sir. And he smiled. And this is actually an older gentleman. And so I'm very pleased to have found yet another compassionate carer who listens. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the, the hope is that there's just going to be more and more. And I think that the further um, research that is done on the mental effects and mental impacts on patients, uh, particularly, um, you know, persons that have been in the healthcare industry stuck in the system for a long time is taught more. And, I, and I'm hoping that that's what's occurring in the schools right now, because they do have some of the research now that shows what that long-term impact does. Um, 
So I, I'm hoping that there's a, a turning point. You know, we have to realize, Candace, as patients, that um, even my own parents, I mean, I think about the amounts of times that I, like, sprained my ankles or, like, my my uh, sibling one time had a kidney infection and she was with it. You urinate a little bit of blood. And I remember my dad told her, oh, well, it's just a little bit of blood. <laughs> that, that, that was part of their, and she had a kidney infection. This is before she got diagnosed, right? The world was probably, you know, the, the, there's still the, the baby boomers, right? Are, are just starting to, many of them starting to retire, right? <clears throat> so there's kind of still that old, like we're in a time where that, um, suck it up um, mentality was just that was again cultural you know it was suck it up suck it up for everything you know and in many ways we kind of need a little bit of going back to that because you know that that's that's a whole other podcast because we're kind of getting you know like the the what do you call them? The helicopter parent stage now, because now now we've overcorrected ourselves, right? So now now we have to kind of come back to the middle, and 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 just be aware that being a helicopter parent or being a helicopter or anything is probably not good. Um, also, you know, so you can be too nice or too. Um, uh, yeah. Um, but you I also can be on the other end, right? You Sorry. can be on the other end, right? Yeah. So that's, that's why we need more people to get in the middle and to, and to really admit their faults that they've done in the past, which is very hard for most people to do, because then you have to admit that you were wrong in order to solve the problem. Right. Um, <clears throat> So, yes, we're, do you, do you want to take it from here, Candace? <laughs> uh, sure, I will. Pardon my dog barking in the background. I actually am, I have a, an occupational therapist at my door. So okay. I'm going to have to just say, like, this topic was a great one today, and it could go on for longer, and I think it should. There is a lot of compassion in care, but I think we should highlight more of it so that maybe... If any um, listeners can can share these perspectives with their carers, then then we can develop a culture around the world of compassionate care. I'm going to yes. sign off now. I I love doing this. So we <laughs> so Candice has to get going, listeners. So um, again, we hope that you have a wonderful and um, you know great day. Bye for now. I'm so happy you were able to join in and listen to us today. If you have an episode idea or would like to share your story, please email me at info at com, or join our Facebook page under the same name. From all of us who are working hard bringing patient issues to light, thank you for tuning in and supporting The Patient's Perspective.